Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. This is Pastor Winfred Burns of Word Worship and Witness Ministries. And we are live with the Word on Wednesday. We are thankful tonight that you are with us. We will not prolong the hour. We have worked our way up to Acts chapter 8, and we want to immediately uh, begin to immediately begin to uh, work our way through this passage. But as usual, Let's start out by having a word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to give you thanks, to give you praise, to give you glory and honor. We bless your name. Father, you have walked with us through these first seven chapters, and we ask that now that as we enter into chapter 8, that you would continue to be our teacher, that you would lead and guide us, that your spirit, Spirit would dwell in this place as we teach and in the hearts of the individuals who join us in our study. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's get right at it. Last week, as we walked through chapter 7, we observed that Stephen was stoned. And we talked about what we should do in light of the, st- the stoning. We talked about the things that Stephen did and how we can also do the same thing today. And in particular, what we said is that in times of persecution, that we would look to heaven, that we would focus on Jesus, that we would walk in forgiveness toward those in opposition, And finally, we would place ourselves in the hands of God. And with that, we want to move immediately into um, chapter 8. And I'll start the reading of chapter 8. And before I start that reading, what I want to do is I want us to take a look at something. Um, And I want us to take a look at John chapter 12, because that's going to to tell us some things about what happens in chapter 8. Um, go to John chapter 12, and I just want to read two verses from there, and then after Luke John, and then I want to I want to remind us of a passage also that is really really going to help us tie this chapter together, because remember that. Now um, that we are talking about the the community, uh, we're talking about complications that happen in this section. And these are the complications that we've exposed so far have been internal and external complications. What are the internal complications that we've seen? Well, we saw Ananias and Sapphira. We saw that. That was internal. We also saw another internal complication when the um, the Greek widows were not being taken care of properly. So those internal conflicts. 
But then we see the external conflicts that are coming uh, at this young church, at this young body of believers, when we look and we see that the, that the old order, the old God, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, are now attack, have now attacked the, the, the apostles and have told them that they can't teach in the name of Jesus. And so, and then we watched how the conflict between but that that of of uh, uh, um, Stephen preaching, and how he was so powerful a preacher, and how he was really really eroding the, um, the 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 base that they had in Judaism, and really attacking that they finally say enough of this, and they stoned him. So now I want us to look real briefly, you know, because we say, well, they stoned Stephen. And this is the reason, you know, if I go out as an individual and I stand for Jesus that and I get killed, then it's just all over. No, it's not. Look at what Jesus says in um, John chapter 12, verse, let's go to verse 20, um, 24. Here it is. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his, his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So what am I saying? What I'm saying tonight is that one of the things that we will see is that by Stephen giving up his life, that he will force, he will bring forth more fruit for the gospel. And the thing that we need to think about is, so, as you see, is, if a kernel of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it bears much fruit. And so when we give our lives to Christ, when we die to self and let Christ live within us, we produce much fruit. See, a lot of the things that we are sowing, we're sowing to the flesh and not in the spirit, and we're living in the flesh rather than living in the spirit. But when we learn that when we die, when, when we uh, decrease and let Christ increase in us, when we die to the things of the flesh, when we die to our will, when we die to our way, the fruit that brings glory to God is produced. And that's what we'll see tonight in Stephen. Now, the other thing that I'm going to show you is, is right in Acts, and then we'll go right to chapter 8 then, because I'm just laying the groundwork for some learning tonight. How's that? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus speaks this in promising the Holy Spirit, 
But this is also prophetic. This is also a prophetic word because now we're going to see something happen that we had not seen before. Remember when Jesus, uh, the woman at the well, it says he must needs go through Samaria because the Jews avoided going into Samaria and they would walk all the way around rather than go through the Samaritan territory because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And they didn't want to go into that territory because they thought of those people as dogs. They thought they were dirty. They thought they were they're the despicable human beings. So we're going to get into that tonight. So now, with that said, let's go over to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So what we see is that with the advent of Stephen being stoned, there was literally hell loosed on the church. And the thing that we'll see is that the hell comes from the Jews against the Hellenic Jews, the Jews of the dispersion. They are going to persecute them in such a way that literally those Jews are driven out of the city of Jerusalem and they are forced to go into other territories for their own safety. They literally go into hiding. They literally leave the city because it's not safe for them there. And who is leading the charge? None other but Saul. Saul of Tarsus, who we're not going to get into him right now, but we'll get into him a little later. But the final word on Stephen is this, that he did not die in vain, and he did not die in dishonor. Because normally when you were stoned, you were not given a, an honorable burial. You were buried, but nobody would grieve and mourn over you. But men, devout men, who knew that Stephen was more than just a just any old ordinary person, they lamented over him. And so they're driven out of the city. One of the people that's driven out of the city is Philip, who had, who had been chosen as one of the seven to, to minister to the, uh, the, the Greek believers who had uh, widows, excuse me, the widows who were neglected in daily menstruation. Okay? So now, um, let's look at verse 4. Now those who were scattered, I'm at Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. 
For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. So now this Jew, this Greek-speaking Jew, who has been driven out of Jerusalem, he doesn't go to another city in Judea. He goes to an area that is despised. He goes amongst the people that are considered unclean. He, as a matter of fact, they call them dogs. Remember the woman at the well? What, what was said about the woman at the well? The woman said, how is it, when Jesus was there, he says, how is it that you have something to do with me and you being a Jew? Why would she say something like that? Well, let's briefly look at the history of the Jews and the Samaritans. And we need to go back to um, 2 Kings chapter 17 to, to kind of get a little, just a little bit of insight into that. Go to 2 Kings chapter 17. Yeah, I'm setting this up so you can really, really get your teeth into it. Here. When Israel fell, and I'm gonna I'm just gonna read a, a verse from chapter 17, verse 6 is what I'm gonna say. The Samaritan the city the Samaritans came about after the fall of Israel. Now there's two sides to this story. There's the historical side, and then there's the biblical side. From the historical side, Samaritans say that they are descendants of the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim, and they are the ones that were not carried into captivity, and so they claim to be the true Jew. They claim to be the true Israelite, because God spared them from going into captivity, which meant that they were the pure of the pure. And the word Samaritan actually means keeper. And what they, they basically claim is that they are keepers of the faith. Now, according to the Bible, according to what we see, we see this in chapter 17. It says, verse 6, in the ninth year of Hosea, the king, of, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Halah and on the harbor, the river of Gozan, and in the city of Lamit. Now, let, let's get, let, let me show you where Samaria stood. You've got Judea, you've got Jerusalem, and then Jerusalem uh, sits south of the Samaritan territory. There was a city of Samaria, and then later it was expanded into a territory that butted up against Galilee. And that's one of the reasons why the Jews, um, they, th they thought that Galilee was just a know-nothing place. It was nobody, and nobody came from there. But Samaria stood, stood about, it started about 45, minutes, or 45 miles outside of Jerusalem. Now, this was the area that the Assyrians took. Now, once the Assyrians took Samaria, then what happens is over in first, uh, verse 24 of chapter 17 of 2 Kings, and the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, 
Kutha, Ava, Haman, and the Sepharim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. Now, so what happens then is this, that once Samaria is overrun and they are taken off and the Israelites are taken off into captivity, they left behind some of the poorer people, people that basically didn't have any skills, didn't have any royal lineage. They just left the poor of the poor there. And what these people did was they intermingled with the Canaanites. And on top of that, the king of Assyria sent down people from the lands that I just uh, talked about, Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and the Sepharim, and they placed those people in the city. And so you had this mixed race of people. And according to the Bible, these were what the Samaritans were comprised of. Now, let's go further. So now we know that the Samaritans, they, um, they basically followed the, the laws of Moses. The different, there was a difference in worship. Go back to the woman at the well, because the woman at the well, you remember what she says to Jesus? He says, the Jews say that the place to worship is Jerusalem, but our fathers say that it's Mount Gerizim. And so they introduced that. They said the difference between Jews and Samaritans was not so much the laws of Moses, but the place of worship. Now, we go a little further. How did they get that if, if in fact, um, the Samaritans worshipped the same way as the Jews worshipped? Well, go back to 2 Kings chapter 17. What does it say? At verse 25, it says, And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So the king of Assyria was told, The nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them, and behold, they are killing them, because they do not know the law of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, Send there one of the priests, whom you carried away from there, and let him go and dwell there, and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests, whom they had carried away from Samaria, came and lived in Bethel, and taught them how they should fear the Lord. So according to our, uh, the scripture, it says they got their law. They learned how to live in the land. They learned the law of Moses. Through the priest, the, the king of Assyria sent a priest back to teach them how to obey the word of the Lord. But now they co-opted this, and they said, look, we got it right, you got it wrong. So this is, this is where the argument came in. Now it goes even further, and I don't, don't have time tonight to really go into it, but if you go through Ezra and if you go through Nehemiah, you will begin to see more of the conflict. In Ezra, the Samaritans come after Cyrus releases the, the children of Israel to come back into the land and, and build a temple. The people of 
the children of Israel, the Jews, began to work to build the temple, and the Samaritans, who have been uh, uh, po- who now populate the land, come to ask them and says, "Hey, look, we want to b- help build the temple." And the Jews, who despise them, who think of them as traitors, say, "You ain't got nothing to do with this." No, and so the conflict goes on and on and on. And then you've got, as you study the history, you'll find out that they build a temple at Mount Gerizim, but John Hyrcanus comes along and he tears the temple down. So I mean, it's a long history of conflict. So now you see the conflict and you know that they are enemies of each other, but yet God sees fit to allow the gospel to come to Samaria. And this is all a part of the prophetic word of God. Number one, Jesus says that you'll take the gospel to Samaria and be witnesses. But more than that, back in Isaiah, back in Jeremiah, back on the prophets in Ezekiel, the Jews will come to a point where God works through them to bring to pass all nations coming to him. So this is all uh, the fulfillment of words of prophecy that you see here by Philip going down into Samaria. Amen? So now, what happens? He goes down and he preaches to the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hear him. And not only do they hear him, but as he expounds the scripture, they believe what they have heard. Signs and wonders accompany the gospel. These signs shall follow them that believe. Remember that passage? So, let's keep going. But there was a man, verse 9, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, He continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So now we come to Simon the sorcerer, and Simon hears the word. As people were were believing and being baptized, Simon hears the word and realizes that there is a power that's greater than the power that he has displayed. You see, he was a magician, and he... And he would wow them with his tricks and incantations and all of this kind of stuff. But he was false. And, you know, just as there are false uh, preachers and false prophets today and people that are working magic and miracles, you see, the devil appears as an angel of light. And he can make you think that something is of God when it's not of God at all. And that's what's being happened. That's what's happening in the church today. 
there is a delusional spirit at work. There are, there are, sometimes you have people come in and they're laying hands on people and folk are falling out and swooning and all that kind of stuff. And, and let me tell you something. Mm-mm. And I'm not saying that when an apostle, when a true person of God lays his hands on somebody, that, um, that healing and, and miracles can occur. I am not saying that at all. But what I am saying is there are a lot of false and phony folk out there. There are a lot of false prophets giving words that come from their own imagination. There are a lot of, 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 of charlatans out there. And this Simon is one of them. Verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Let me stop right there. So wait a second, hold it. Is it necessary for an apostle to lay his hands on us today for us to receive the Holy Spirit? No, it is not. It is not. We receive the Holy Spirit because God promised, and we receive the indwelling as well as the filling of the Holy Spirit by faith. So why is it necessary for the apostles at this time to come to Samaria and lay hands on them before they receive the Holy Spirit? Well, because there is new birth in a new community and and the old is being done away with. What do you mean by that? In order for them to be fully received, to be fully received, they needed to have the same experience as uh, the apostles in Jerusalem had on the day of Pentecost. God is doing a new thing. He has first started doing his new things amongst the Jews. Now he's doing it amongst the Samaritans. And so God in his infinite wisdom, in order to, for them to be fully accepted, allows them to go through a similar experience. Now, in their case, in the case of the Jews, remember, the Holy Spirit just fell on them, as Jesus had promised if they stayed in the place that they were in, by faith. Now, it is imparted to them, it is imparted to them through the hands of the apostles, simply so so not only the people can experience it, but the apostles can see that this is the authentic work of God. Amen? So you see that. Now, let's keep going. So, then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. That's verse 17. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord 
that if it possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now let me go. So Simon sees that it's through the laying on of hands that the Holy Spirit is given. And Simon says, ooh, I want to add this to my bag of tricks. Therein is exposed his heart. All he wants is not to give his life for Christ, but to be, still remain in power. Peter, seeing what he's all about, calls his hand on it. And he says, you know what? Yours is not true repentance. Yours is not faith in Jesus Christ. Yours is not, well, you got baptized, but you didn't die. Your flesh is still there. And he calls him out, and he exposes him as a phony. And this same Simon, who we don't hear of in the Bible anymore, history records that he is the father of Gnosticism. And he goes off and he starts his own thing, which is what he wanted to do in the first place. So what does this mean to us tonight? Well, first of all, we have to be aware that there are some people that will come into the church, that will come alongside the church, simply because all they want to do is figure out a way to make themselves great and make a book off of the church. Make sure you understand that and make sure that that's not the reason because those people are false prophets, those people are phonies, those people are the ones that give the church a bad name. Secondly, what you want to see is that, you know what, this, this thing that we do is wrong, where it's just all black and it's just all white and it, we discriminate against people. Mm-mm, no. That's not our job to discriminate. It's not our job to say that, th- that these people are Samaritans and they're nasty people. It's our job as led by the Holy Spirit to go and present the gospel. We are to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. We are not to discriminate against any race, any sex, any, any people of sexual orientation. And I'll say it straight out. We have no business judging anyone. No business at all. It is. I just read where um, some people that I admire have signed what's known as the Nashville uh, contract, and basically what they're saying is the church has nothing to do with the homosexual population. No way. That is not right. Ever. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. It doesn't say, you know, whosoever is heterosexual. It doesn't say whosoever is European American. It doesn't say whosoever is African American. It says Whosoever, and it is the job of the church, as led by the Holy Spirit, 
to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to convey the good news to all mankind. And here we see in Acts that Jesus is spreading the gospel by, and the Holy Spirit is leading them into Samaria. Here, Peter and John, going back, what do they do? They preach the gospel to all the villages in Samaria on their way back home to Jerusalem. Wow. Wouldn't it be something if we put up, got away from all of our hang-ups and we began to just preach the gospel and let the seed of the word fall and take root in the hearts of man and let God water and let God give the increase. That's our job. So if you discriminate, if you got somebody in your office, if you got somebody in in the marketplace that you haven't shared the gospel with because you think, no, I ain't got a business talking to him, they're not good enough or something like that, that's the main one that God probably is going to lead you to witness to. Amen. Well, that's it for tonight. Um, you got questions, then I want you to uh, put them on the screen. If you want to call in, the call-in number is 929-477-2304, 929-477-2304. I'll give you a few minutes, and if you don't call in, then guess what? We're going to pray and we're going to finish Acts chapter 8 next week. 929-477-2304. 929-477-2304. Persecution made the church run. But when they ran, they ran with the gospel. They fulfilled the mission of Jesus. They they fulfilled the prophecy of Jesus. Stephen's dying caused the gospel to flourish. Amen. Well, if there's no questions, let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. Father, we thank you that we are on a mission with you. And that sometimes, Father, you have to light a fire on us to get us to move. God, that you make persecution work in your favor. And in making it work in your favor, you make it work in our favor. We thank you, O God, that you've called us to mission with you. We praise you. We bless you. For you are good and your mercy endures forever. Now, God, make us faithful witnesses unto you. Let us, we pray tonight for holy boldness. To speak your word wherever and whenever you call us. We thank you, Lord, that you allow us to study, that you lead us and guide us into all truth, and that, God, we're not walking around blind and we don't have blind faith. Our faith is in you. Oh, God, we trust you. Oh, God, we praise you. Oh, God, we bless you because we love you. In Jesus' name. Well, I pray that you have been blessed tonight. I pray that you um, 
will honor God now with your service to him. This has been Pastor Winfred Burns with The Word on Wednesday. I'll see you next week. Amen.